Welcome to the Healing Circle podcast, where we talk about everything mental health, faith, and relationships. Though this show is hosted by a licensed therapist, that's me, Kobe, I am not your therapist. These amazing conversations are meant to provide psychoeducation and start some good conversation, but they're not meant to be a substitute for real therapy services. We're excited to learn, grow, and talk with you guys. So let's jump into today's episode. Back for season three. We're back. That was the, the sound of adoration from the crowds all around us as we do this live podcast from our home and mm. the angels are watching. <laughs> That's what the heavenly hosts are doing that right now. They sound like the SpongeBob <laughs> noise. <laughs> Y'all pray for him for real. So um, we are really excited about season three. It took us some time to figure out what do we really want to come and talk about and share about, and hopefully you listen to our update. But if you didn't, um, this has been a really new season for us, a really intentional season for us personally and within. Um, you know, professional spaces, relational spaces. And we are just finding just how much our childhood experiences affect us and affect how we relate to each other, affect how we relate to our children, how we relate to our work, to our calling, to God. Um, And so for us, it's really important that we get the opportunity to just like talk and interact and share with people like we need to reparent ourselves. Yeah. Yeah, it it won't just go away on its own, huh? Yeah, I know (laughs) that like you're laughing, but so many people genuinely believe that. Like I sit with people all the time who genuinely believe that if they just, if they just keep living, their pain will go away. And that's just not true. It's not true, right? So season three is going to be called um, Reparenting Ourselves, right? We have an uh, ability and a capability as adults to now give ourselves, our inner child, the part of us that is still longing to give it what it needs. But first, we have to hear. Yeah. So we're gonna we're gonna give some old dogs some new tricks. Mm. Wow, you are definitely black. <laughs> <laughs> you are definitely black. So I can't help myself. Our first subject is gonna be um, codependence, codependency, and we're really excited to talk about this because it's kind of like a mental health buzzword, especially on social media. And a lot of people talk yeah. about what it is, what they're experiencing in the moment, but we don't really talk about the progression and the nuance that comes with um, experiencing codependency um, and being codependent. I am someone who is recovering from codependency, to be quite honest. Um, Me too. <laughs> It's going Look at around. Us. Yeah, we're 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 recovering from it in relationship, which can be tricky as we build intimacy with ourselves, with each other, and with our children. So um we are really excited to have this conversation with you guys and share more about what we feel like would be important for people to know as they look back on their childhood and then also figure out how do I move forward. Yeah, and side note, she just said children. So it's 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 been a long time. And we shouldn't have left you without a dope beat to step to. Wow. Step two. Wow. Just, you know, I just came up with that. Um, (laughs) 
And um, so before we had child, Duh. and now we have children. We have two mm. little boys. Yeah. Um, so our newest is Makai. He is just the sweetest little baby angel. Yeah. He sleeps. He coos. He's just delightful. So just wanted to, to bring that in in case you're like, wait, children. Yeah. yeah. We got two of them now. Another one slid on out, y'all. Another one slid on out. So we are going to start this conversation about codependency. Let's define it first. So codependency um, can be defined as any relationship in which two people become so invested in each other that they can't function without being independent anymore. Mm. Right? Like they can't function independently. I need you to live. I need you to survive. Right? So the phrase codependency and codependent actually evolved, I think, in like the... I think it was the 80s um it evolved from the phrase co-addict because it actually comes from the um the idea of like addiction right so it was a reference to people who were in relationships with um people who were experiencing addiction to various type of things whether it be narcotics or alcohol food sex whatever it is mm-hmm. because they found that there were common patterns common behavioral and emotional patterns of people who are in intimate relationship with people who are addicted to substances or certain behaviors. Um, But now that definition has expanded and it's expanded because they're finding that it's not just, oh, this is how someone acts in relation to someone who's been addicted. It's also like about a fusion, Mm. right? Like maybe the addiction creates the environment for that, but they're finding that other things can create the environment for that type of fusion, which is why, you know, we see many people who are not in relationship with someone who has alcoholism or one of the more commonly known forms of addiction who still experience codependency. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's really interesting because I think when you look at like the way that mental health was treated back in the day. <laughs> like in the 80s it was kind of like oh well you know you're an addict and now that we are we're starting to redefine like trauma we we really can say well no like the addiction produced trauma and so this is what happens when you're in relationship with someone who has trauma yeah. and then acts out their trauma yeah. in your world and you yeah. respond to it because we are yeah i think you've talked um we talked privately about this reality that you don't get to just like you can't just shut out your world, yeah. you know, like you, you are a part of the environment. It will affect you. There's yeah. no getting around it. Yep. There's no getting around it. And, and for people who experience codependence and codependency, um, here are some of the things that they experience internally. So one, they have a difficulty making decisions in relationships, right? How many times is like, what do you want to eat, babe? Well, what do you want to eat? <laughs> well, I know you, like, I love shrimp. Kyle hates shrimp. How many times have I not eaten shrimp because I did not want to eat it in front of Kyle because I know he didn't like it, right? We'll get to that in a second. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get to that in a second. Um, they have a difficulty identifying their own feelings, difficulty communicating in relationships, especially disagreeing with people in relationships and saying, and not even an argument, but saying, uh, actually, I don't think that's how I feel. Or, yeah. oh, no, I, like, I actually don't want to eat that. Or, I know you thought that was good, but I didn't think it was that good. Yeah. Anything that asserts a sense of autonomy and agency and independence, really, really hard for them to adapt to and 
and interact out of. Um, They struggle with overvaluing their approval of others, especially over their own opinions and feelings. Uh, They lack trust in themselves and they have poor self-esteem many times. Dang, bro, you just going to keep talking about me? I'm listen, I'm just reading out the facts, babe. I'm just reading out the facts. Um, they have fears of abandonment or obsessive need for approval. <laughs> me being like, what do you think, babe? What do you think, babe? What do you think? Do you like it? What do you think, right? <laughs> <laughs> Which is why even like with the reparenting thing, like we've when we deal with Levi and Levi does something that he's proud of. Yeah. We we don't say, "Oh, that's so great." We ask him, what do, what do you, you think? think? Yeah. And then he says, oh, I like it. And we're like, oh, if awesome. you like it. What do you I, like about it? Yeah. Uh, dinosaurs <laughs> and blue and boo-boo-full. That's my favorite when he says boo-boo-full. Love yeah. it. Um, but it's because of this like thing we're trying to reparent ourselves and parenting him wow. away from the ways that we were kind of raised yeah. to be codependent. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, People who experience codependency or are codependent have unhealthy dependence on relationships, even at their own cost, even Mm -hmm. to their own detriment. Um, They have an exaggerated sense of responsibility for the actions of others. I don't want to make this person feel. If I do this, I'll make them feel. Well, I'm the it's my fault because I did this and now you feel blank. Right. There's this sense of like unhealthy pride it's like it's almost like narcissism without the (laughs) self-esteem it's like i have all the power but i'm not that great (laughs) (laughs) you know and um, it'll be on my tombstone (laughs) narcissism (laughs) without the (laughs) self-esteem here lies kyle kim on narcissists without the self-esteem and i want to correct myself so i think sometimes uh, i we use we as in therapists who share information will use um, diagnosing language um, without clarifying. So it would be better for me to say narcissistic tendencies than to actually say like narcissism, because that's a diagnosis that you do not have. Let's clarify that. Um, Yeah. I'm just regular weird. Yeah. That, that is, that is true. I am kind of weird. That is That's true. okay. It's part of my boyish charm. Mm-hmm. Manish charm. Manish charm. Manish charm. I got a I beard like now. Boys. I like men. Um, so when I think about codependency and I think about, um, honestly, my own experience with it, it is so, um, it's much more insidious than we think it is. Yeah. I think we have this idea of a codependent person who's very meek and quiet, unassuming, doesn't speak up, and just follows someone around like a puppy. <laughs> but people who are strong and assertive and have big opinions and big thoughts and big dreams can also be codependent, right? When we are codependent, what it does to our brain is it develops a sense of hypervigilance right? We become experts at perception. So even thinking about it in its original context, you think about someone who um, may be the child of someone who is experiencing alcoholism. Yeah, They have developed this hypervigilance as an adaptive trait for survival. Mm-hmm. I have to know when you're drunk, yeah. which means I need to know your body language at six years old. Yeah. I need to know when you're about to go into a rage-filled fit, Mm -hmm. which means I need to know what your body looks like when you are tense and frustrated, right? So we, and I didn't grow up in an alcoholic home or home where someone um, struggled with alcoholism, but we become experts at perceiving 
what other people are experiencing at a time in our lives where developmentally we're supposed to be figuring out how we feel. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's funny because to Kobe's point, it is so insidious and you can experience codependency uh, because of your own personal interaction. And then a lot of us, especially those of us who come from marginalized community where there is a lot of trauma are taught codependency as a survival method, as a way of being. Um, and so I like to tell the story. It's kind of it's kind of funny in retrospect, but when you really think about it, it's a little it's a little odd. Mm-hmm. I remember being nine years old at the gas station with my dad, and there's a group of people talking at the gas station. My dad asked me and my brother, like, "Hey, who's the most important person in that conversation?" Mm-hmm. And we're like, "What? What do you mean?" He's like, "No, who's the most important? Look at them. Who's the most important person?" And we we're like, "We don't know." And he said, "Look at their feet." They're all standing in a circle, but everyone's feet are pointed towards one person. They keep checking with that one person to see if their jokes are landing, to see if they have permission to talk. That person is the most important person in that conversation, and it's Mm -hmm. all in their body language. right? And we're eight years old, Mm. but my dad saw that as a lesson to teach because he grew up in an environment where you needed to be able to read body language in a place that was unsafe. And so while I have my own codependency... There's also the reality, in some ways, I was kind of taught yeah. this sort of hypervigilance. Yep. Like know where you are, know what's happening, read the cues because you want to make yourself safe. Yeah. Yep. We want to make ourselves safe, but I think that a lot of us have experienced things at no fault to, of our own, yeah. um, no fault to our own, where we have been forced to prioritize safety mm. over identity. And now that we've gotten older and we need to develop these lives and raise other human beings, we're like, oh, I don't, I know how to feel safe to an extent, yeah, but I don't know how to be myself. I don't know, like, I don't know who I am. Yeah. I don't know what I like. I don't know what I don't like. Right. So what separates human beings from other like mammals and animals and animals (laughs) (laughs) from other, okay, Tommy Pickles, from other mammals and animals um, is our prefrontal cortex, right? So our prefrontal cortex is our thinking brain, right? In other words, that gives us the ability to figure out who we are. And that's a part of the brain that helps us figure out our sense of self and develop our sense of self. So developing our sense of self is our brain processing really small, unassuming moments, Mm. synthesizing them, and then extracting like, what, what about that reflects me? Wow. Right. So you hate onions or you hated onions. I did hate onions. Right. Yeah. And I, like, and there's nothing wrong with that. Right. That was, that was something of your own, but you developed at an age that you probably can't remember an ability to speak up and say, I don't want onions on mine though. Yeah. Right. Because in small moments where you may have taken a bite of a food, you're like, oh, this would have been good without onions. Um, and then that develops over time to a point where you say, oh, I don't like onions. Yeah. I have now developed a sense of understanding for myself when it comes to my palate. Yeah. Right. That's a really, really simplified um, example. But every interaction gives us an opportunity to learn something new about ourselves. Right. And to develop a conscious sense of who we are, what our identity is, we need to be able to use that prefrontal cortex regularly. But guess what happens when we are in distress? The prefrontal cortex is shut down. 
That sounds like a not good thing. It's not good, right? The prefrontal cortex is completely shut down and it affects our ability to process information about ourselves, about what we feel, about what we think. But the part of the brain that is focused on being hypervigilant, the part of the brain that's activated when we're in a fear state, that's alive and well. Wow. So people who are codependent struggle with the idea of knowing how everybody else feels, but not knowing how they feel. I can see that you're angry because you crossed your arms, but they can't tell that they're angry because they crossed their own arms. <laughs> the right? first like eight years of knowing Kobay, so and we've known each other for eight years, um, she, well, probably the first five years, I did not know when I was feeling something. Like she literally had to tell me. Yeah. And then I had to figure out over the course of months or weeks that I did feel that way. I was mm. so divorced from the idea of my own feelings. Even as I was in corporate America, really successful because of my ability to read the room, perceive and like move on. Yep. And yet in my own life, it'd be like, uh, wait, Kyle, you're sad. No, no I'm not. not. Oh my gosh. Two months later, babe, I think I'm I think I'm sad. Yeah, and I'm like, oh, you came to that conclusion by yourself. Wow. Very proud. Very proud of you. Yeah. And and it's important for us to know that codependency is not just something that happens in our interpersonal relationships. Mm -hmm. It's also something that affects us holistically. That is the perspective I come from when I'm helping people process their trauma. It's not just affecting your psychosocial heart or your mind, it's literally affecting your brain. Like your brain has literally created a little file that says to survive, we must ignore self. Mm. To survive, we must focus on other people. Because you think about someone who's been in a verbally abusive home. I need to know when you're about to cuss me out. Yeah. I need to know when you're about to berate me, which means it doesn't matter how I feel. It matters how you feel. How you feel affects whether I am safe or not. Wow. And there's a time where that is actually true. Mm -hmm. right? And helpful. And, a helpful yep. defense mechanism. Yep. Yep. It, it's it's adaptive. It literally helps children survive and navigate the world because they're so small they can't they can't defend themselves, right? Yeah. And so it's this way of protecting and circumventing danger at an age developmentally where you have no authority to do anything to protect yourself. But then what happens when that's not corrected and we grow up? Huh? What happens? Me and you happen. Yeah, yes. <laughs> I, we happen. You turn into the person that doesn't even know how they feel. Yeah. And I think that like the danger of this is codependent people are so excellent, so perceptive, mm -hmm. so helpful, and so lonely. Yeah. It's part of what makes you such a great therapist. Yeah, it my codependency and codependent traits are what make me an excellent therapist. And I can say that with all confidence because I, I am sensitive to tone. I'm sensitive to eye contact. I'm sensitive to body language, mm -hmm. right? But at the end of the day, I sometimes am struggling and have been learning through my own therapy. How do I feel? Yeah. What do I, what does Kobe want? And you know, you've been a part of that process. Yeah. Literally having to slow down my day, cut down my work days, my work week from five days to three days. And I spend Monday and Friday figuring out what does Kobe want? Because when I wake up in the morning and I don't have a responsibility to someone else, I don't know who I am. Yeah. 
And I'm still struggling to figure that out, even as I can walk someone from complete despair to elation and joy Mm -hmm. after experiencing some form of abuse. Yeah. I do that regularly. And yet I'm struggling to figure out who I am, right? So if we were to redefine codependence from like that super clinical definition, we would say this, and this is a, a quote from um, Tion Dayton, who is an amazing, amazing psychologist. Like OG, triple OG of like all things mental health. Yeah, I Just, would love to have her on the show. Yeah. So we're going to find a way, and Jesus, you heard my prayer, would love for her to come. Um, she had this quote, a codependent is someone who puts a sweater on someone else when they feel cold. Yeah. We're so estranged from our own emotions that we see someone else's emotions and think they're ours. Yeah. I'm I'm mildly sensing this in myself, so you must feel this. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes, we don't even have the language to say, I'm sensing this. Yeah. We may feel uncomfortable and it be that general and that removed and look at somebody and be like, you're uncomfortable. And they're like, no, I'm not. (laughs) I'm like, yes, you are. Because we're projecting. It's safer to see emotions, safer to interact with emotions when they're not inside of us. Right. There's someone who identifies their own feelings and other people rather than themselves. It's just easier to deal with it and it's safer. Right. And this is from years of what's called practice scanning. Constantly spending so much time being hypervigilant that it becomes second nature. And I think this might make people feel really uncomfortable. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm laughing because the uncomfortable people is me, are me. <laughs> um, I had to learn as a Christian that I did not have discernment the way I thought I did. I actually just had hypervigilance. <laughs> well, I mean, first of all, you messed it up. It's not discernment. Discernment. Wow. Thank you, Second Bishop. of all, say more. What do you mean? I I would just know things or f- hear things mm. or, or or be like, oh, I bet this person feels that. Or I think this person, I would feel led to speak into that. And now, now I genuinely think I have a sense of discernment. But if it was a scale of one to 10, I would say that I used to think my discernment was, a, was like nine mm-hmm. and my hypervigilance was a one. And now I actually think it's 50-50. Yeah. I think I have like five <laughs> of hypervigilance five of discernment because I, there's actually a lot um, that you can read in the body, mm-hmm. especially if you've been traumatized yep. and yep. you've been practice scanning your entire life. Yeah. Right. And for those of you who didn't grow up in black church specifically, discernment is this, is this word that we use for this intuitive sense of um, God giving you a, an almost divine wisdom about what is going on around you and in people around you where you just know things and you know that you know them, but you don't know why you know them. And, and there's a reason why that can get confused. And I think God does use both, um, for his purposes, but to Kobe's point, those of you, um, you know, trigger warning, those of you who have experienced childhood sexual trauma, you will likely resonate with what I'm about to say. I've been walking on campus when I was in college or walking down the street or walked into a room and seen somebody just walking and like known, know that I know that I know like the sun is out, like the sky is blue, that they had experienced childhood sexual trauma. Yeah. Like, and, and almost never been wrong about that when, when it's come time to like maybe confirm that or, or to try and speak into someone's, someone's life. And when you've, 
when you have done all this hours and hours of practice scanning and you kind of know the signs and you you know yourself, not intimately, but you know what fear looks like, you know what the shame and the burden of that, what that feels like and what it looks like when it's weighing on someone's shoulders, like you can see it. Yeah. Um, yep. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, I forgot what the name of the study was, but there was a study done on people who were incarcerated for being sexual predators. And in the study, it was about essentially seeing like, how do you know who to attack? Mm. <laughs> how do you know who to target? And almost every single predator said body language. Right. And statistically, people who have been abused are more likely to re-experience abuse. Mm. Right. Um, and it just it, it all connects. Yeah. When you're abused, there's a certain there's a certain posture that is discernible, right? That is visible to the human eye for people who are looking close enough. Um, and people who are also looking close enough from the side of a someone who's a predator or a perpetrator yeah. can see that too, right? Um I kind of want to jump back to thinking about people who um, are excellent mm. and codependent. Yeah. It makes me think about the people I know who are always serving, always leading, always speaking into other people's brokenness. And if you ask them how you feel, how they feel, um, they're like, oh, I'm good. I'm fine. And I used to get really frustrated at people like that because I thought they were lying. Mm -hmm. And the older I've gotten... Um, and the more work I've done with people through trauma therapy, I realize they genuinely think that they're okay. Yeah. They ge- they're like, oh, I haven't experienced trauma. And I'm like looking at them like, what? Huh? Well, huh? Yes, you have. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you are extremely traumatized, right? Um, it's and- almost like this sense of like losing like an emotional temperature regulation. Yes. Like my oh friend, my Mike Dom, Dom, if you're listening, what's up? Um, he's from Pittsburgh. And um, when I met him, we were in Wilmington, North Carolina, which is the South and it's hot and it's a beach town. Mike would wear shorts and flip-flops in the middle of winter. Oh my gosh, It'd be yes. 40 degrees. He would not be cold. We and would be, be frigid. like, guys, what are, you, why, what are you talking about? This is barely even like balmy. Like this yeah. isn't even cold. Yeah. And the reality is he had spent so much time in a place that was cold in an extreme that like normal temperatures did not feel quote unquote normal. Like yeah. he was having a different experience Yeah, and it, he wasn't lying. He literally did not feel it. Yeah. And that's really similar to what happens when you've been like, when you've had this extreme interaction that has become your norm, you, you run into the world and it's like, well, are you okay? And it's like, yeah, I'm okay. Yeah, and there could be bullets flying, but yeah. if bullets have been flying your whole life, bullets flying is okay. Yeah. It's normal. And okay is such a specific word that means so much to so many people. Because really, when you say, are you okay? They might be hearing, do you feel safe? Mm. Right? And they're like, yeah, of course I feel safe. Right? Okay. Of course I'm okay. But really, I think when I am asking someone, are you okay? I'm really asking, do you free to do you feel free to be your most authentic self? Yeah. Do you feel free to be your most authentic self? Right. And when we are so used to being excellent, the idea of turning ourselves inward, <laughs> turning inward towards ourselves rather, to discover how we're feeling in a way that would unravel the work we do, in a way that would unravel the way people perceive us, mm-hmm. in a way that would unravel the excellence we've worked so hard to develop, only to end up feeling unsafe 
feels just stupid, be quite honest. Yeah. It feels, it, it, and this is why I will never not say this. Healing feels like dying. Yeah. Because it is literally letting go of the things that have made you feel the safest to explore something you do not know yet. Yeah. To walk a road you you haven't walked and you're not, honestly, you're not even sure what's at the end of it. You're trying to trust people and trust other people um, and their experience and their wisdom. And it's like, I don't know, man, I've been not feeling my emotions for, you know, 25 years. Yeah. Worked out thus far. Yeah. Like, you know, mm-hmm. like, let's just keep this thing going. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet there's more on the other side, but if you've never experienced more, it's hard to even want it. Yeah. It's hard to even desire it. Yeah. And so it can be really hard for people to engage in healing in this way because you, there's so many barriers to overcome. And honestly, I think that's why, even though I've been in therapy for so long and I've processed so many things, now is the time because I I have to build my own family culture. Yeah. And I'm the adult. People who are codependent oftentimes struggle with the idea that they are the adult yeah. in the room. That there's no one else to default to, right? Because being codependent means that your emotions are fused with other people's. You're not just practice scanning to observe. You're practice scanning to connect to what people are feeling and what they're experiencing and to adopt their own experiences as your own. You feel sad, now I must feel sad. You feel happy, I must feel happy. And in marriage, for me, that has created a sense of resentment because I did not know how to guard my joy if you were not also joyful yeah if you were sad it felt like dang i gotta i gotta be sad too i gotta jump into whatever he's feeling and it created resentment because you were feeling things that weren't aligning with what i was developing what what i was feeling as i was developing understanding of my own emotions and so it was this wrestle of like I'm not strong enough emotionally to set this boundary mm-hmm. and be like, you be sad over there. I'm going to go be happy. Mm-hmm. I wasn't there yet. Yeah. Only you know? one person gets to feel at a time. Yes. Oh you know, gosh. when you're codependent and say, yeah. okay, well, oh, you have feelings. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, I can't have, we can't have feelings at the same time. Yeah. Um. And, and that's, that's exactly what happens. And, and I'm reminded of like, it, it can look so many different ways. Like up until recently, probably the last two years, I hated my birthday. Didn't hate it because, you know, I didn't like the idea of getting older, but so many people would reach out to me to say happy birthday on my birthday. And because of my codependency, I felt an obligation to respond to every single person, to ask how they were doing, to follow up and to pour into how they were feeling. Mm. And so my birthday turned into the the hardest day of service in my life. It was the day I was regretting because I knew I was going to have to have 300 conversations and love on 300 people because I was so used to downplaying my own emotions. And the idea Mm. that a day could be about me and what I felt was foreign. Yeah, Like it was always about if someone else has an emotion, theirs gets to take precedence over mine. Yep. Yep. And, and jumping back again to how this developed. So Codependency can develop in many different ways. It can develop from having a parent who is verbally or physically abusive. Mm -hmm. It can develop from being sexually abused in your childhood, even your adulthood. Mm -hmm. It can be a result of being the child of someone who is addicted to a substance or a certain behavior. It can also be a result of something as simple as your parents teaching you that you need to acquiesce to the temperature of the room. Yeah. It's as simple as your parents telling you what to feel instead of how to feel what you're feeling. Yeah. Right? Yeah. 
Like, don't be sad. Don't be angry. Don't be right. And I say that not because I'm trying to say like, one, we all are traumatized, but not to say like, we're all traumatized and we're all destroyed and there's no hope for us. There's so much hope. Why I love trauma therapy is because when you figure out how you got there, you can figure out how to get back. Uh Uh-oh. You're about to preach. You're in your intro. Stand up, Pastor. What else? (laughs) Be quiet. And that's why I, I, it is, there are complicated components Mm-hmm. But like, once you know what the lie is, you know what the truth is, yeah, right? And yeah. that's what I love about the work that I do. But oftentimes, many of us from a really young age, we're taught, don't feel this, don't feel that, don't be this, <laughs> yeah. don't be that, while we were experiencing it. And and the only way to please the people around us was to estrange ourselves from our own emotions mm-hmm. so that we could do what they were telling us and asking yep. us to do, right? And it could be as small and as, as kind of funny as the stereotypical, hey, when we get in this store, you don't see nothing. Yep. You don't want nothing. Nope. You don't say nothing. <laughs> don't ask for nothing because you ain't getting nothing, yep. right? Like, And that's kind of a funny slash not so great way to parent your kids. <laughs> um, but even things like that, the idea that, okay, here's a place where you don't get to feel. Yeah. This is not an appropriate place to have an emotion that's yeah. in a, you know, that I say you can't have. Yeah. Right? It, it travels. It doesn't just stay in the parking lot. Yeah. It shows up when you're 35 in the meeting. Yeah. So, Yep. And and what it does to us is it helps us adopt the voices. Rather, when we are children, mm. we only need to hear certain voices for a certain amount of time before those voices become a part of our internal system. Yeah. It's kind of like there are some rock songs or some country songs. Um, um what sh- that Shania Twain song, I feel like a woman. Bah, bah. I don't think I've ever like intentionally sat down and listened to that song. Mm -hmm. But one day the radio was playing, it turned on and I knew all the words because I'd heard it in the background of so many places, so many times. And though I'd never focused on it, though I'd never set my intentions on it, though I'd never downloaded it anywhere or saved it anywhere. Mm -hmm. I had been around it so long, so many times, I guess in the early two thousands that I knew all the words and I didn't even know that I knew all the words. That's what it can be like when we speak to our children in a way that communicates that what they feel is not accepted, what they think is not welcome, and that they need to feel what we feel, right? And what happens is when we don't correct our own codependency from our children childhood, when we don't... Um, Reparent ourselves. Yeah. That's the word. See what I did there? Yeah. 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 When we don't reparent ourselves, what happens is we switch roles Mm. because we get exhausted. And now it's your job as my child to fuse to my emotions. Don't you dare think that you can feel something other than what I'm feeling. You can't be joyous when I just had a hard day at work. Yeah, sit down and be quiet. Don't if I come home and you you jumping around happy, wanting wanting to hang out. Like no, bro. Like, yeah, I just had. A we terrible had day. a bad day. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we got bills to pay. Yeah, right. And and that's when we don't reparent. Not only do we do that to our children, we do it to our partners. Yeah. We now, do it to our friends. We do we it do to it. our friends. Yeah. And and we struggle to connect to people because we're so deeply burdened by them because we're having to wrestle with the idea of leaving emotional real estate. Who gets what and how much and at what time and on what days, at what occasions, yeah. right? We're constantly wrestling with looking for someone to be to us what we were 
to our parents and what we were to the people who were guardians over us because we think that that is what's going to correct all of the things that feel confusing in us. If someone were just to take on my emotions for me and really all of it is like a cycle of estrangement. I've been estranged from my emotions by connecting to yours. And now I need to be estranged from my emotions by making you carry it for me. Right. And that's why reparenting is so, so, so important. And that's what we're going to be going over in our next episode. Right. Here are all the things that we talked about with codependency. We talked about how it shows up in childhood, how it manifests in our friendships, how it affects our brain, how it affects Mm -hmm. how we relate to each other. Um, And in our next episode, we're going to talk more from our personal point of view, how we are doing the work to recover from codependency, what it looks like in real life, and then also how it affects our relationship with God. Because it always does. It always does. There is that. Yep. So before we leave, hopefully this is not as long as uh, I think it'll be, but there is a section of Tion Dayton's book, um, Trauma and Addiction, and it was really powerful. And I wanted to close out today's episode with this. So Tion, um, she specializes in trauma and addiction, and she is the child of a father who struggled with alcoholism. And this is an excerpt from her book. If you get it, it's on page 129 and um, it reads, my father had a swimming pool that in his drunkenness, he had let go after fighting with the pool man. And now it looks like a swamp. When my father was drunk, he took on a diabolical cast. It was hard to describe but there was a sort of crazy evilness pouring out of his eyes and a cat-like agility that belonged to almost another world. Each day, he said, Tiana, dive into the swimming pool. I was horrified. How could my father, who loved me more than anything, anything in this world, want me to swim through slime? I couldn't make sense of it. I like to do what my father asked me to do because it made me feel secure in some strange way, as if if I still had a father who cared about me. I was so confused. Who was asking me to do this? I had no support. I was a teenager alone visiting him in a strange home. I said, no, stop it. You're not serious. He couldn't be. But he kept at it again and again. Go on, Tiana. Dive in. At a weak, vulnerable, and confused moment, I couldn't handle it anymore. I wanted him to stop, and I reasoned in my lonely and frightened state that two minutes of suffering would get him away from me, would make me, would make the scary daddy stop. I dived in. Suddenly, his humiliation and degradation became mine. I felt myself young and fresh and clean swimming through this drunkard swamp that my father, whom I loved, had pushed me into. I pulled myself out of that pool and I felt my head hanging down in shame and sorrow. It had come to this, this metaphor made flesh. I walked dripping into the shower and stood under it, wondering if I would ever be clean again. Mm. I think that was the moment when I knew in my soul that I had better save myself because this person whom I loved so much and who loved me so much was going to drag me into his underworld if I let him. 
These are the kinds of stories those of us who grew up in addicted homes as well as addicted themselves keep secret. Many of us are willing to give up on ourselves, dive dive into the slime of other people because we think for just a moment, if I forsake myself, I can stop the torture of what their experience is creating in me. And in that moment that we turn our back on ourselves, we experience a shame that makes us feel like we'll never be clean again. In our next episode, we're going to talk about how that cleanliness is possible and how there's hope. Until the circle comes back around. Bye, guys. Thank you guys so much for tuning in to today's episode. If you liked our conversation, make sure to rate, review, and subscribe so we can get the word of healing out to as many people as possible. Visit the show notes to stay up to date on our mental health workshops, yearly retreats, Oasis is Bomb, and connect to us on social media. We'll chat with you guys soon until the circle comes back around.